As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With just one week to go before training camp begins, Larry D. delivers the last of the 2014 opponent preview shows, this time featuring the teams of the NFC North and our same place opponents. How did the teams improve in the offseason? And how does 2014 look for the division? All of this and so much more on the NFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And just as the summer keeps plugging along, so do I as I return once again to bring the third and final 2014 opponent preview show. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for another episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And uh, this is the third and final preview episode for the uh, 2014 opponents. Uh, We have five teams to go over today. We have our same place opponents, those teams that finished in second and under other nfc divisions the uh in this case since we're we always play the north and we're playing the south as part of the schedule that means it's the nfc west second place team the san francisco 49ers and the nfc east second place team which was the dallas cowboys so we'll be talking about them and our division foes in detroit green bay and minnesota and we'll try to keep it under infinity because uh you know we'll just try to keep it brief but um you know and then uh you know it's it's a week from today as a matter of fact on today's the 17th tomorrow uh or excuse me not tomorrow but next thursday thursday the 24th is when the bears when rookies and veterans uh report to camp a lot of teams have their rookies reporting a couple of days early Uh, as a matter of fact i was just watching nfl live before i started recording the show and um they mentioned that three teams have rookies reporting today, as a matter of fact. Uh, the Ravens, the Bills, and the 49ers all have their rookies uh, in camp right now with the veterans reporting later on in the week. And I'm not sure why the 49ers and Ravens are starting to report now because usually it's only the two teams playing in the, um, uh, the what you call it, the uh, Hall of Fame game that uh report to camp earlier than the other teams uh in the league so uh and this year it's it's buffalo and the giants so i wasn't surprised to hear that buffalo uh had people reporting uh already but surprised to hear that the ravens and 49ers i mean even though it's just rookies but to hear them that they've got you know some guys reporting to camp uh thus far so Anyway, the Bears and uh, the veterans and rookies all report together a week from today in Bourbon and I believe the first practice is a week from tomorrow on the 25th of July. And then the following, well, they got about two weeks 
before the first game um, with the, I want to say it's the Eagles, August the 8th, the first uh, the first preseason game uh, will be August the 8th, and uh, we'll have one more, one more preview show, um, but it's not an opponent preview show, that's why I say this is the third and final next week. Um, we'll do it on Thursday, a week from today when they're reporting, but we'll do the preview episode for the Bears next Thursday. We'll break it down unit by unit, position by position, and, uh, you know, additions, subtractions, and, uh, you know, maybe even take a peek at the schedule one last time uh, before we go into camp and uh, see what all shakes out. And then the shows that follow after that will be the review episodes for the preseason games so it's all starting to come together so basically the schedule for the show goes today we have the nfc north and our same place opponents a week from today will be the bears preview episode and then it'll be we'll get a break for a couple of weeks and then we'll have the review episodes for the preseason games it'll be philly and jacksonville and then there's one other, the Seattle, my God, I, I can't believe I forgot. Seattle is the dress rehearsal game, and it's on national TV. I believe it's on the NFL Network. Uh, and uh, But the dress rehearsal game in Seattle against the champs, uh, that's going to be a nice test uh, for us. Uh, and then we close it out, as we always do, on the road uh, against the Cleveland Browns. So not always on the road, but always against the Cleveland Browns. So we finish up with the Browns and the Browns review episode is always kind of like the Browns review episode slash picks that stick prediction show because there's never really anything to talk about on the fourth preseason game unless uh, somebody gets hurt or something miraculous happens and it's been a few years since anything worth talking about has happened in that fourth and final game of the preseason against the Browns. so we'll it'll probably be more of a hey the bears and the browns played on thursday and the bears won and now the picks that stick show so that's uh, you know probably the preview of just a a small taste of what that show will probably sound like uh in the coming weeks but you know we're down to it the last including this one the last six shows before the season starts before we have our first preview episode going into the bears and the bills on september the 7th so it's uh it's an exciting time and and i'm really looking forward to uh to getting this season underway interested to see how this defense plays you know with with emory focusing all of his attention on the offensive line and adding weapons uh for jay cutler last year and then we had you know the number two scoring offense in the league and uh you know a top 10 offense for the first time since jesus was a baby uh you know it's be interesting to see if emory can work the same magic on the defense that he did on the offense so i mean he's been pretty good at doing these these quick turnarounds with the uh with the you know what he's focusing his attention on and uh let's just hope that uh you know the the focus has been there on the defense although it hasn't been in the safety position uh like we would like for it to be but uh We'll see how uh, how it everything goes, and uh, looking forward to seeing what those guys uh, do uh, this season. So, all right. So, what do you say? We got five teams. So, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to start off with our division opponents, and alphabetically, that kicks us off with my favorite team in the entire division, the Detroit Lions. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
We all know the level of contempt I have for this team. Uh, it, it might be dissipating over the course of this season because the main source of my angst was the moron of a head coach that they had and the way that he conducted uh, his football team with as little discipline as humanly possible, or so it would appear, because they were basically just following that idiot's lead uh, half the time. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, the guy that was so jacked that he would chuck his headphones across the field uh, at the end of a football game uh, and and things like that. The one that, uh, you know, wanted to start a fight with Jim Harbaugh because Jim Harbaugh smacked him on the back a little too hard when they shook hands at the end of a football game and and things like that. So uh, but that jack hole is uh, working somewhere else now. So it's, uh, you know, a new head coach that come into town, Jim Caldwell. I mean, and how could. Schwartz not get fired I mean how is how could it not happen you know it was an inevitability the team that started uh, you know they finished seven and nine and lost six of their last seven including the last four games of the season in a season where the NFC North was practically gift wrapped for them you know the Bears yes they were better on offense yeah they're scoring points but their defense is the worst that it has ever been and, you know, that practically and you swept the Bears on top of that. So you got a, a tiebreaker over them no matter what. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, thanks to the Bears, lose Aaron Rodgers for most of the season uh, last year. The best that those teams can that each team could muster was eight wins last year. And when Aaron Rodgers goes down in the middle of the season, you're six and two, six and two, something like that. And you finished seven and nine. They lost six of their last seven games. And, you know, like I said, including their last four games to uh, to basically give away the division. And it's just, uh, you know, there's no way you don't lose your job uh, when that happens. So regardless of all that, Jim Caldwell, he's in. He's an offensive-minded guy. This was the guy that was Peyton Manning's quarterback coach for his glory years in uh in indianapolis um the guy that helped turn joe flacco into an all pro 20 million dollar a year quarterback in baltimore uh you know to help him win the super bowl and because the, the year that they won the super bowl jim caldwell mid-season 
becomes the offensive coordinator and as soon as he takes over all of a sudden the Ravens offense has life and they make a run and win the Super Bowl in 2012 so you know this is a guy that uh, not that the Lions needed help on the offensive side of the ball but you know he's going to help out in that uh, in that area and we'll see what they can do uh, on the defensive side of things so the disappointing thing about the Lions and what they didn't do in this offseason or actually kind of also in the draft as well was this is a team badly in need of secondary help especially with the division that they play in with with Aaron Rodgers and the high flyers in Green Bay and then the way the Bears played last year on offense it's uh it would have been imperative for a team that was weak in the secondary last season to improve their secondary either in the in free agency or through the draft and with their top pick a number 10 overall pick in the draft they took a tight end uh eric ebron the top rated tight end in the draft out of the university of north carolina uh, he was kind of a luxury at that spot he was you know i guess they went with best player available instead of trying to fill a need because aside from the uh corner that the browns took whose name is eluding me uh at the moment every other corner was available you know, Daquez, uh, Daquez Gennard, Denard, who went to Michigan State just down the road uh, from uh, from Detroit, would have been a natural fit for them. Calvin Pryor, HaHa Clinton Dix, they were still there, the top safeties on the board, and they didn't choose a defensive back. They went with a tight end and then drafted a linebacker in the second round. So, who knows what they were uh, what they were thinking there? But uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, what they do but the 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 big story being you know that Jim Caldwell is in town and he was preaching discipline at his introductory press conference that this team would have a little bit more discipline so possibly no more uh, no more personal foul penalties uh, you know giving teams extra chances giving them the ball back and, and and things like that so we'll see how much how much that changes this year under Jim Caldwell um not really known as a strict disciplinarian but when Jim Schwartz was running the kind of ship that he was running uh the last few years in Detroit there's really nowhere to go but up as far as that is concerned so it probably won't be a you know that probably won't take much to show vast improvement over what Jim Caldwell was doing or what Jim Caldwell is doing over what Jim Schwartz was doing uh as the head coach uh for the Lions so you know, take a deeper look at the team. Obviously, you got Matt Stafford, uh, 4,500 yards, uh, threw for 29 touchdowns, but also had 19 picks uh, last year. Uh, Reggie Bush and in, in however you say this guy, Joke or Joke or jo- whatever the hell, Bell is his last name. Bush and Bell uh, made it for a very good one-two punch. Reggie Bush over a thousand yards, but each each running back. Um, had over 500 yards rushing and 500 yards receiving coming out of the backfield uh, as well. So, uh, you know, these guys were were, were giving uh, Stafford weapons. Um, they, um, the big free agent acquisition for the Lions was adding Golden Tate uh, away from the Seattle Seahawks to kind of give Calvin Johnson a number two, uh, a number two option to try to take some of the pressure off of him Drafting Eric Ebron to go with Brandon Merriweather uh, as well uh, could be um, very – Brandon Pettigrew, sorry. Um, 
as their uh, their other you know the big first round uh, tight end they drafted a few years ago, adding more weapons uh, to that offensive uh, side of things. And then the the offense was actually very good, second in the NFL in sacks allowed, only twenty three uh, allowed last season. So former first round pick Riley Reef in there. You got Rob Sims is a veteran Dominic Riola who God bless him has played his entire 14 year career in Minnesota uh Larry Warford was a third round pick out of Kentucky he started all 16 games last year and then uh Adrian Waddell or Waddle was the the right tackle those are the guys that were uh were were uh, making things safe for Matt Stafford and allowing him to pass for over 4,500 yards if he can get his interception numbers down I'm sure that would help a, a great deal 19 picks uh, last season uh, for uh, Stafford, not uh, not very good. And then, of course, you know, in the receiving game, you have Megatron, uh, and um, but Megatron is turning 29 years old. He's barely practicing now, and he's kind of starting to show some uh, show some wear and tear. Uh, you know, being the number one option with uh, very little in, as way of a secondary option. He's been taking a beating out there, and, and some are saying that it's starting to uh, starting to show uh, on him. So um, be interested to see how much uh, wear he's got left uh, on the tires. Now, on the defensive side of the football, one of the more formidable front fours in the league. You have Ziggy Ansah, who was their top uh, pick last year, number five overall, led the team in sacks last year, and Dominican Sue, the perennial all-pro, he's a boulder right there in the middle of the line. Nick Fairley is somewhat of a here-today, gone-tomorrow uh, kind of guy. He, he'll he be stellar for one game. He'll, you know, kick ass and take names against, uh, you know, the Vikings, and then he'll be a, a non-existent guy against the Colts the week after that kind of thing. So he needs to shore up his uh, consistency. The Lions elected not to pick up his fifth-year option. So this is a contract year for him, hoping that it will uh, – the team is hoping that it will motivate him to play all 16 games instead of showing up for this one, taking that one off kind of thing to really be a more of a consistent player. And then they rounded out with Jason Jones, who they signed away from the uh, Seattle Seahawks in free agency uh, last year. So it makes up for a pretty, uh, a pretty stellar front four, but it gets weaker as you go back, the, back then. You know, they finished 28 in sacks uh, last year. Uh, pass defense they were 23rd against the 28th in sacks 23rd against the pass and uh, like I said they did not had add defensive back help in the draft now they did sign a free safety uh, James in Indigabo his name is a disaster I don't know how to pronounce it I should probably look this stuff up you know for someone who's pretending to be a quote-unquote broadcaster you know what I mean but Sue me, all right? I don't care. This is, anyway, he was going to be the starting safety. He followed their new defensive coordinator over from, from Baltimore. And, you know, the, the new defensive coordinator from Baltimore is kind of looking to um, have more of a kind of a flex type thing where the linebackers are, are, are involved in doing some pass rushing, which is what uh, Kyle Van Oy, their second-round pick uh, out of Utah, is um, – is or Utah State, I believe, is uh, is looked upon doing. He's going to play outside linebacker. He's going to be a starter from day one, and then he's going to be a, like a situational pass rusher or a blitzer uh, to help out uh, on the defensive front when uh, when trying to rush the uh, 
quarterback. So, you know, like I said, it's the the story is the changing of the guard, getting rid of Jim Schwartz, bringing in Jim Caldwell. Like I said, not known as a steely-eyed disciplinarian, but there's nowhere to go what up considering what the the Lions organization and their fans have had to put up with the last uh, four seasons or so with Jim uh, Schwartz uh, at the helm to see how they respond to his type of leadership and if the team bands together. And, you know, let's see if this year, if Matt Stafford can really become a leader and rally the troops around him, uh, you know, being their starting quarterback and for former number one overall pick, you know, he re-signed for the big money, getting, you know, $17 million a year and, and things like that to see if he can really become the leader, to have them kind of rally around him and see if he can lead these Lions uh, going forward. So we'll have to wait and see. The defense up front, I mean, they were stellar against the run. These guys were were formidable at, at, the, uh, at the best, number six overall uh, against the run, which helped elevate their overall defensive uh, position. But against the pass, they give up tons of yards. They give up tons of big plays. And um, that's where they needed to improve. And they didn't improve in the secondary where they needed to uh, in order to uh, make believers out of the people analyzing these things. So we'll see how the Lions uh, shake out uh, as, a, as a huge Lion hater. I hope we beat the piss out of them both times, not just in Chicago, but in Detroit on Thanksgiving Day, I want to embarrass them on national television is what I would love to do when we play them on Thanksgiving Day. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it all uh, shakes out uh, with the Lions uh, this year. So we go from the team that I hate the most to the team that I fear in our division, or maybe you can call it respect, whatever you want to do it. Go from, uh, from the Lions who are our bottom – no, actually they weren't. The Vikings were – uh, but they're bottom feeders instead of bottom dwellers, those scumbags up in Detroit. Now we move on over and talk about last year's defending champ, the Green Bay Packers. You know, when I pick the music for these little in-betweeners, the liners, the music beds, whatever you want to call them, uh, I don't necessarily pick them specifically for the team. I mean, some I, some I do, some I don't, some are kind of random. I just like, ah, I'll just throw that one in there. Um, sabotage would probably be the perfect word to describe what the Green Bay Packers did to the Bears <laughs> last year. Uh, you know, coming into Soldier Field week 17, uh, Aaron Rodgers returning from the injury. And, and, and just from, a, like I said, I'd, and it had nothing nothing to do with my bear bias or anything like that. I just didn't think it was worth risking the future of Aaron Rodgers to play in that game. I, I just didn't think it was. And, um, you know, just thinking as a, you know, pure football standpoint and everything, it's, a, you know, it's a 500 season. I mean, and they must have had tremendous faith on what they'd be able to do when they made it into the postseason to make that risk and unfortunately it did not work out for us and don't get me started as to why that was but uh you know here green bay comes out from uh you know from from the depths of hell basically to kind of sneak in there because the bears and the lions can't get out of their own way 
uh, last year. Uh, they they can't um, pull out and, and win the win some games uh, that they're supposed to, and basically just hold serve while Aaron Rodgers was was out with his injury, leaving the division ripe for the picking uh, when he returned, and they took full advantage of that, stealing the division from the Bears last year. And um, they did, however, lose in the wild card round uh, to the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, we'll, uh, I'm still pissed about it, to be honest with you. It really bothers me that, <laughs> that we lost that freaking game. Anywho... Uh, looking at 2014, Green Bay, much like the Chicago Bears, are looking to have the defense catch up to the offense to have a more balanced team. The defense ranked near the bottom in just about every category except sacks, where they were more of a middle-of-the-road uh, top half of the league uh, type team. You know, Rodgers missed seven games last year with that broken collarbone. Thank you very much, Shane McClellan. Um, and he came back just in time to win the division and go to the playoffs, and Matt Flynn has returned once again to back him up, the guy that I was hoping that we would be playing uh, in that game. So one of the big bright spots for the Packers, despite their, uh, their woes last year on the offensive side of the ball, was the run game. Um, getting lucky and having Eddie Lacy fall to them late in the second round i think it was like second to third second to last pick in the in the round they were able to snag him up he made offensive rookie of the year last year nearly 1200 yards rushing as a rookie and really shored up their run offense giving them a more balanced attack on the offensive side of the football they don't just have to be so one-dimensional and uh, have to pass to set up the run they can they can run it pretty well if they need to uh, and the offensive line helped out tremendously with that and and this year they should actually be a little bit better considering they get uh, Brian Bulaga back who missed all of 2013 with a torn ACL that he suffered in in training camp um, he comes back uh, the rookie uh, Bakhtiari who was uh, like a fourth round pick uh, played very well at left tackle he'll be back in that spot uh, sitting at left guard TJ Lang at, at right guard um, the one weak spot on the offensive line is going to be at center where uh, Evan Dietrich Smith, he left to go to Tampa, Tampa Bay. I believe it was Tampa Bay because we were talking about him during the last show. He left to in free agency. He's gone uh, regardless of where he went, but he's gone. And the person that they have, um, it's going to be a competition between two players. Whoever it is has never played the position in the NFL before. So not only will you have this this um, this this player, will you not only will you have a new center trying to build a rapport and a you know a quarterback center relationship with Aaron Rodgers in training camp and into the early portion of the season, but you're also going to have a guy who's never played the position before, and it's not so much just playing football. But also the center is the guy that makes the calls at the line of scrimmage to tell everyone else, you know, recognize the scheme. This guy's coming. You got him, you know, changing up the, the, the blocking schemes at the line of scrimmage and such. That's going to be his job, and he's never done that before. So be interesting to see how well the middle of that line holds up when the center is the weak link. And if there's a place you don't want to be weak on the offensive line, it's up the middle. 
because that's the shortest path to the quarterback. And if the guy is too busy trying to figure out what he's supposed to be doing and then snaps the football, and he's like, wait, what was I supposed to be doing? Somebody runs right past him and murders Aaron Rodgers. So it uh, could be a uh, cautionary. Keep an eye on, on what goes on at the center position uh, for the Packers uh, this year. But everywhere else on offense, they're, uh, you know, strong as usual. And the wide receiving core, which is where they're immensely talented, they did lose James Jones. He signed a free agent deal with the Oakland Raiders, but they still have Randall Cobb, who will be healthy after he you know, spent most of the year out with a leg injury last year. Uh, Jordy Nelson comes back. Jarrett Boykin, who was a rookie last year, played well, uh, among other prospects. And they also have Andrew Corliss, a tight end, uh, coming back for them as well. And then, of course, you also have uh, Eddie Lacy, as I mentioned before, defending, you know, well, you can't really defend a rookie of the year crown, but... He won Rookie of the Year, 1,178 yards and 11 touchdowns last year with uh, James uh, Starks backing him up and uh, John Kuhn, the, the, the ever-so-popular John Kuhn, uh, at fullback uh, for them. And, and that's your offense for the, for the Green Bay Packers. On the defensive side, huh, this is, yeah. I know we cut him, so we can't really complain you know, it's kind of like when you break up with somebody and then you're get, you, you're upset at who they decide to go out with next. It's none of your business who they go out with after you broke up with them. So we broke it off with Julius Peppers and he decided to start dating that one dude that we don't like. It's like the if the, 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 the one person you did not want Julius Peppers to start dating then you you see him walking the hallways holding hands with that dude right now. It's like, oh man, really, really wearing his Letterman jacket and his class ring and everything, just happy as can be, walking down the aisle together, and it's just intolerable, and it makes me sick. And I've seen pictures, I've seen footage of Peppers wearing the gold and green or the green and gold, uh, also wearing the number fifty six. He's not going to be sport number ninety like he has every other day of his career. Um, and I just, you know, like I said, we, we, we cut him. So where he goes is none of our business. But if he could, I mean, even if he had gone, even if it was kind of like a trade type thing, even if he'd gone to Minnesota, I'd have been okay with that because it's not Green Bay. And it just makes me sick to look at him in Green Bay colors and, and everything. So it just... I don't know. He's 34 years old, and the Bears cut him for two reasons. One, his production was starting to wane, and number two, his salary kept getting larger. So it was a salary cap thing more than anything uh, for Julius Peppers because it wasn't entirely, you know, his lack of production last year also kind of reflected just how bad the overall defense was. Uh, in 2013 he wasn't the only one who had a crappy year and Phil Emery has come out and said such you know everybody else on defense had an eight and eight year too so it wasn't just Julius Peppers and everything just the fact that they were gonna have to pay the guy 18 million dollars this year and he's not worth it so um, especially you know he's getting older and his production is going down it's a bad equation you know, if Julius Peppers had 19 sacks last year, led the league, and was the only guy that didn't have a crappy year on defense, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But it didn't happen that way. And um, he managed to lead the team in sacks last year, but when the, the leading sacker has only got six or seven, that's not really saying a whole lot for your, for your defense. So 
But uh, Peppers, for the first time in his career, will get to try out a 3-4 where, uh, you know, he'll play the defensive end position on first and second down and then maybe get a chance to play some, uh, you know, rush linebacker. He'll basically be the bookend to uh, Clay Matthews to try to give him some help and cut down on the double teams. The one thing that Peppers did not have while he was in Chicago was a guy on the other side causing just as much trouble uh, as he was to leave him open to one-on-ones. And, you know, one-on-one Julius Peppers could be just about any uh, offensive tackle uh, in the NFL. Uh, Aside from maybe that first year in 2010, when when Izzy Adonage was nipping at his heels on how many you know who had the most sacks uh, on the team that year, Peppers hasn't had that other guy on the other side that was taking some attention uh, away from him and was constantly facing the double team. So it wasn't all Julius Peppers' fault, but circumstances being what they are, he's going to have that on the other side with Clay Matthews or even hell, you know, line them up on the same side together. That would be pretty scary. Sorry about that. Somebody uh somebody was walking past the the window and the new puppy who I've yet to talk about uh on the show uh did not approve of the stranger walking past my uh my window here. So kind of hard to edit that out. But anyway, you know, so he'll have that with Clay Matthews on the other side or maybe even line them up together on the same side and figure out which one of those guys you're going to have to block or just how you're going to manage to block both of those guys coming at you at the same time presents some interesting possibilities on the defense side of the ball for the Packers if uh, Peppers has still got a little bit left uh, in the tank. So uh, in the secondary where they were horrible against the pass last year, uh, they decided to go ahead and draft uh, ha-ha Clinton Dix out of Alabama uh, in the first round. So there uh, should see some improvement on the on the defensive side uh, of the football. Um, they didn't really do much in the and they never do actually uh, in 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 free agency. They they like to build through uh, through the draft, which is probably why they've been able to maintain the level of consistency that they have. Is that they're developing their own players, getting them you know getting them on the cheap with rookie contracts four or five years at a time you know kind of building that way and uh, that's kind of been the level of success and what Phil Emery is trying to get started here uh, in Chicago but if the if the defense can catch up to the offense if they can have a bounce back year uh, and get back into the the top echelon of the league the Packers are going to be a dangerous team to face I'm just hoping that the Bears improve enough on defense as well uh, to kind of even that out. So I would I would really love to see a lot of games like the one we saw week 17. As nerve-wracking and stomach-turning as it was, especially with the way that it ended up, it was fun to watch. Absolutely fun to watch the Bears and the Packers go at it tooth and nail because a lot of people, a lot of people, analysts, experts, players, whatever, still list it as the number one rivalry in football. The number one rivalry in football, and even though the the 49ers and the Seahawks uh, have been able to play, and the you know the Steelers and the Ravens, and even if uh, you want to go with uh, New England and Denver, or New England and Peyton Manning, you know whoever he's playing for, uh, have been able to play the games with higher stakes. That you know nothing really beats the tradition and 
you know, what happens on the field, the, you know, the level of animosity and such traditionally that happens between the Bears uh, and the Packers. So every single magazine that I've looked at, that I've read, that I purchased uh, looking at the previews of the season, picks Green Bay to win the division. Every last one of them. In fact, one of them has uh, Green Bay going to the Super Bowl. So they every single person or, you know, like these staffs that make these picks and everything, a couple of them like the Bears as wildcard teams, you know, make the playoffs this year. But none of them, not one, like the Bears to win the division to represent the NFC North in the playoffs as their uh, champion. It's this team, the Green Bay Packers, that they're looking to see go on and uh, make another playoff run this year and uh, here's the hoping that the Bears can break that trend and uh, be the first team to win the division other than Green Bay since the Bears did it uh, in 2010 so that's the uh, the skinny on the Green Bay Packers I'll go ahead and wrap up the NFC North division with I would say one of the the for me the most intriguing team uh, in this uh, in the division this year outside of the Bears of course but uh, none other than the fourth place Minnesota Vikings a team that quite honestly uh, delivered the most devastating loss of the season I mean, never mind the beating that they took in Philadelphia. That just proved that, it, you know, that to be one of those games where it's just not going to be your night kind of thing. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And, you know, to the tune of 54 to 11, once it was all said and done, the Viking game, that's that's the game above all, in my opinion. The second one in Minnesota, that's the one that cost the Bears their trip to the playoffs because of the games that they lost that you know in that last month last five to six weeks of the season you know they lost to the rams but they lost by a big margin to the rams uh when they lost to the eagles that was destruction uh when they lost to green bay anyway but that loss against minnesota in minnesota that was in my opinion you know looking back on it hindsight being 2020 and all that was the game that cost us the playoffs because that's the one, above all, that's the game the Bears should have won. That's the one that they should have had. Um, the, and that 4th and 11 play, even though they still had overtime and all that kind of stuff, that was the play that cost them the playoffs because if, if we shut them down on 4th and 11 – then we've got the ball deep in Minnesota territory with the lead. We can add points to where they have to score a touchdown and all the rest of that stuff. They end up converting that fourth and 11 and driving the ball down the field to kick a field goal that sent the game into overtime. And when they went ahead and won it in overtime, even though Robbie Gold missed a field goal that could have won it for us in OT. But, you know. That was the game, and, and I've, you've, you guys have heard me say that more than once. That was the game, in my opinion, that, that cost the Bears their right to go to the playoffs in 2013 to represent the division uh, in the playoffs and such. So that's, uh, that's the way I feel, and uh, no, one will ever be able to be, no one will ever be able to convince me uh, otherwise on that one. So, but this is the team that we're talking about now. 
Uh, regardless of ruining our playoff hopes last year, the Vikings were 5-10-1 on the season, that one tie going against uh, Green Bay. But 5-10-1 uh, uh, last year to finish dead last in the division. That was the nail in the coffin for Leslie Frazier uh, and his coaching staff. They are gone. Bring in Mike Zimmer, uh, the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. He takes over his first NFL head coaching uh, job. He finally uh, finally gets his chance to to lead a team, and uh, he brings uh, Norv Turner with him, who was the OC in Cleveland last year, but apparently. Cleveland is a one-and-done kind of town because after one year in Cleveland, Chazinski, the new head coach out there, he was fired and clear out the ranks, left North Turner looking for a job. He is now the offensive coordinator in Minnesota, and it's an interesting job that North Turner has in front of him because he has an offense that features a very good offensive line. Matt Khalil on one side, Phil Loholt on the other Um you know, and you have Adrian Peterson uh, as your running back, even though he's starting to get up there uh, in in years, and you know, with the wear and tear uh, and all. But if anyone who's got the got the motors to 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 out uh, outrun that kind of thing, it would be him. Uh, you have a, a a playmaker in the in the making in Cordell Patterson, who was the sole reason why the Vikings were number one in the NFL in punt returns and I think top five in kick returns uh, last year. Their special teams was stellar uh, for them, and Patterson had a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, you have Greg Jennings on the other side, a veteran wide receiver who can help groom that, that young guy. Uh, you have Kyle Rudolph, a very solid, very you know up-and-coming tight end. And then in the quarterback position, you have two options. You have, and Christian Ponder is not one of those options, just to get that off the board right now. This is the final year of his rookie contract. They're basically just going to, they're just going to pay him to steal money this year. That's what Christian Ponder is going to do because he's going to be behind Matt Castle, who, for the most part, I think is coming into camp as the starter right now. Backing him up is first round pick Teddy Bridgewater, who, because of a lousy pro day, at the University of Louisville when it was all about him because of a lousy, inconsistent pro day, he went from possibly being the number one overall pick to the Houston Texans to just barely, just barely being able to call himself a first-round pick because the Vikings had to trade back into the first round to take Bridgewater with the last pick in the first round. So, And if they hadn't done that, uh, Teddy Bridgewater might actually might actually still have made it uh, as a Houston Texan, but he would have made it as the top pick in the second round instead of being the number one overall pick, which is how it was kind of viewed before that pro day took place. But that is what Phil Phil where the hell did Phil come from? North Turner, Phil Loldhold, I guess. North Turner has on his plate this year. He has all of those pieces on the offensive side, and then he's going to have his choice. To have this, um, you know, and, and it's the reputation that North Turner has. I mean, this is the guy who was the offensive coordinator in, Sa coordinator in San Francisco the one year that Alex Smith was actually a productive uh, quarterback, you know, playing well and, and, and making things look good uh, before, you know, North Turner left town to go to San Diego. Um, you know, obviously he was offensive coordinator for, 
for Troy Aikman in Dallas and, and you know, other stops along the way with Phillip Rivers in San Diego and, and so on. In his career, he's, you know, almost kind of like Mark Tressman, is somewhat of a quarterback guru, uh, if you will. He, but he's, you know, got a reputation for getting the most out of the players and, you know, getting the most out of, North, of, of uh, Alex Smith and things like that. Will he be able to get the most out of Matt Castle while at the same time grooming Teddy Bridgewater to be the quarterback of the future? Because obviously the Christian Ponder experiment did not work out. So, um, like I said, he'll spend the year riding the bench or holding the clipboard and stealing money in Minnesota, and then he'll have a chance to go somewhere next year, or <laughs> maybe they'll pay him to stick around and back up Teddy Bridgewater next year. We'll have to wait and see. But it's going to be interesting to see what the quarterback competition is going to be like for the Vikings in uh, in training camp this year, how, how they handle it. Who are they going to do the thing where uh, Matt Castle starts this game, Teddy Bridgewater starts this one, and then you know we'll rotate him in game number three, and whoever my starter is going to be at the end, you know, going into game one, starter for game number four and, and whatnot. And let's see if it's going to be a true blue competition or if they're just going to go into it kind of like Jacksonville is and saying right now um, Chad Henney is our quarterback in Jacksonville and Blake Bortles is not going to play. He's going to sit on the bench and learn this year is that what minnesota is going to do we'll have to uh take a look and see but it makes for some very interesting possibilities i mean obviously the playbook can open up a bit more with teddy bridgewater as quarterback saw saw a lot of games uh with him as the quarterback in louisville he's a hell of a quarterback he's got a great arm he can move around uh in the pocket so if if he can make it in the nfl uh, as a quarterback he's going to cause some problems for us uh, in the division for the next several years. So that's, uh, you know, not going to be fun for us if he can be, you know, the player that everyone thought was going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. So, um, and then on, uh, you know, with the other offensive weapons he has and Kyle Rudolph and Cordero Patterson, Greg Jennings, and then, uh, you know, Adrian Peterson and such coming out of the backfield with that offensive line that they have in front of them, could make for some happy days uh, in Minnesota. On the defensive side, however, is where it kind of gets uh, a little bit um, interesting, I guess would be the word uh, to use. Jared Allen is gone, as we know. And uh, Everson Griffin, who's kind of been the Jared Allen in waiting, um, signed a, a big free agent contract to stay uh, in Minnesota, although he's been the backup to Jared Allen all this time and, and not really been the the starter. Uh, they also drafted Anthony Barr and, and number nine, their first number one pick uh, in the first round uh, from UCLA. He'll be a strong side linebacker in the 4-3. He'll also be that rush linebacker, that Clay Matthews guy, um, because Mike Zimmer likes to mix it up and with a, you know, kind of flex his, his uh, defense to, you know, fit the situation kind of thing like the, I think their base formation will be a 4-3 but every now and then they'll do a 3-4 type thing or you know Anthony Barr will put his hand down and be a rush defensive end instead of uh, being the outside linebacker so in nickel situations maybe he'll put his hand on the ground and rush the passer instead of being a linebacker like he is on first and second down uh, kind of thing but flexibility and scheme is how Mike Zimmer runs his uh, his defenses uh, in the middle, Kevin Williams is gone, but they bring in the younger 
Linval Joseph from the New York Giants. They also have Sharif Floyd, who was one of their first-round picks last year um, to make up that front four with, with Anthony Barr and, uh, and Sharif Floyd, Everson Griffin, and so on. Uh, with them, this defense, folks, the worst scoring defense in the entire league last year. They, they allowed an average of 30 points a game, and they blew five leads in the final minute last year. So think about that. They had a lead in the last five minutes of the game in five different games. If they, let's just for argument's sake, say they win all five of those games, they're 10, they're 10, five and one instead of five, 10 and one. They win the division easily and go to the playoffs. That's how, that's how the ball bounces in the NFL. It's, but it's also why I love the sport because it can happen just that easy. And, and one of those uh, blown leads in the final minute was against the Bears in week two. If you remember the the last second touchdown pass from Cutler to Martellus Bennett to win the game 31 to 30 against the Vikings last year, and uh, you know how exciting that was. So, you know the secondary uh, on that defense uh, it is improving. Uh, they drafted Xavier Rhodes last year. They had Harrison Smith, the safety from uh, Notre Dame, the year before that. Um, Going to mix him in with uh, Captain Munnerlyn, who they signed away from the. Carolina Panthers to be the other corner uh, to, to, to shore up that uh, secondary and see if they can get uh, things improved uh, there. So the other interesting thing that's going to be happening in Minnesota this year is that uh, they got a new stadium coming. They're uh, building this thing from the, uh, from the ground up, and it's going to take them two years to do it. So for the next two seasons, they're going to be playing their home games at the University of Minnesota and go for stadium where the Bears and the, and the Vikings played that impromptu Monday night game uh, because the, uh, the stadium colla- or the, what you call it, the roof collapsed uh, in the Metrodome in 2010 when they had to play that game outdoors. And it's, they weren't even sure they were going to be able to do it because the, team, the stadium wasn't prepared for you know, those late winter games because the Gophers are done with their football, whether they make the uh, postseason or not in mid-November before it gets really bad outside. But, um, you know, so for the next two seasons, the, it's, uh, they're going to be sharing Gopher Stadium, which is a much smaller stadium. I think it only holds like 40,000, 50,000 people as opposed to the 70 or 80,000, I don't know if it holds that many, but 70 or so thousand that it holds in, uh, in Viking Stadium and uh, see, what, uh, see if, what kind of difference that makes when – the Bears play the Vikings the last game of the season, you know, December 28th, I believe, is the last day uh, of the season this year to see what the weather is like. But, you know, instead of playing on a sheet of ice, which is what the Bears and the Vikings played on last time, they're supposedly prepared for it now because this was part of the plan for the Vikings to play there for 2014 and 2015 before opening the doors to the new Metrodome in uh, 2016. And I've seen the the, the virtual 3D model and, and things like that online, this thing looks amazing. And because it is so impressive, it's already been granted a Super Bowl. I think Super Bowl 52 will be played in, in Minnesota. Uh, I think that's what? This is 49. So 52 would be the 2017 Super Bowl? Yeah, 2017 Super Bowl. So year number two for that stadium will be the Super Bowl that they host up there. Uh, in the new dome and it's uh it's it's a really really cool design if you get a chance to go online and, and uh and check it out it's one of those 
like after seeing that it's like well you know when my my buddies who like to make one road trip a year to a a bear game that's gonna we're gonna have to go see that i just want to see that place you know i want to go check that place out and uh go see the bears play the vikings in that uh, in that dome and uh see how it all shakes out so it's it's another billion dollar nfl stadium and uh be interesting to see the inside of it when it's uh when they break ground on it in 2016 so but um you know overall like i said the vikings to me are the most intriguing team because north turner has been a magician when it comes to uh, grooming quarterbacks or getting getting something out of guys that other people haven't been able to do so matt castle was a very mediocre uh, quarterback uh, and everything uh, has been for the majority of his career and it'd be interesting to see how North Turner can you know what North Turner can suck out of him or do they just go ahead and and go with Teddy Bridgewater from day one and what can North Turner help this kid do day one as starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings and how will that all factor in because that's what they've been missing one of the big things they've been missing the last couple of years is a quarterback to be able to open up the offense so it's not all Adrian Peterson all the time uh, for them. So if they can get a, a good quarterback going with Cordero Patterson, Greg Jennings, Kyle Rudolph, uh, you know, catching passes and everything to open up that offense a little bit, you know, that can also add years to Adrian Peterson's career at the same time. So um, that's what's most intriguing uh, for me, it's a, you pretty much know what you're going to get out of uh, Detroit as far as their offense is concerned. You know who they have on defense. Same thing with the Green Bay Packers, with the Vikings. It's interesting because it's you know it's a new, a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, brand new quarterback, uh, and things like that. So I still think the Vikings are the most interesting of the three teams uh, in our uh, division. And uh, aside from when they play us, I look forward to see what they're able to produce uh, on Sundays. So that's going to close it up for the, our division foes. Now we're going to go ahead and move on to our same place opponent, starting first with the NFC East Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> The team that uh, gave Bear fans quite possibly their most entertaining game of the season, and uh, that, of course, was the early December Monday night visit the Cowboys made to Soldier Field last year where the Bears had the football eight times and scored all eight times, never punted once throughout the entire football game and route to a 45-28 victory over the uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, last year. <clears throat> Probably wasn't very fun for Dallas Cowboy fans for the second year in a row the Bears uh beat up on their team uh on Monday night football uh, at least in 2012 it was in Dallas uh so you got to watch that destruction up close this time it was in Chicago in the frigid fridge it was freezing outside that day my god like minus nine or something like that was the was the chill in in uh, the wind chill in Chicago that day but Josh McCown was hot as they come with uh you know he threw for four touchdowns and ran one in in, the, in that game. That was really something uh, to watch all that. But uh, uh, what a fun game that was. Um, but uh, that loss uh, and uh, seven others because the Cowboys finished 8-8 eight and eight for the third year in a row. 
missing the playoffs for the fourth straight season and uh, i think for the third or either the third year in a row or the fourth year in a row as a matter of fact the went into the final game of the season with a chance to win the division and go to the playoffs and for the third fourth year in a row they lost that game last week last year it was uh to the eagles the year before that i believe it was the giants you know it's just been a mess actually it was the I believe it was the Redskins the year before that. And then the year before that, it was the Giants. So it's just uh, it's been a mess to be a Cowboy fan the last few years uh, to, to have it come down to that last game of the season, even though you really have no business uh, being in that position and to, to choke once again. So, you know, the, 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 but it, it's already not looking good for the Cowboys. Number one, for a team that had the worst defense in all of football, last year Uh, number 32 overall ranked 32 in the league last year on defense they they didn't really do much to improve their defense uh i mean they 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 got younger uh they had some salary cap casualties demarcus ware uh is gone um they also lost jason hatcher uh in free hc defensive tackle he's gone uh, Rod Marinelli comes in as your defensive coordinator because the Lane Kiffin experience uh, experiment was a huge disaster. He's been moved to a a like uh, a consultant type position. He's basically not he's basically getting paid not to do anything uh, in Dallas right now. So Rod Marinelli takes over. Uh, they brought in Henry Melton, who is recovering from that knee injury that he suffered uh, with the Bears uh, last year. Uh, uh, you know, but the big thing was at the end of OTAs or towards the end of OTAs, their middle linebacker, Sean Lee, blows out his ACL. He is done for the season. Before the season even starts, before they even got to training camp, they lose their best defensive player in Sean Lee. This guy was the Brian Erlacher of the defense, and because of that injury, there was actually rumor for a while that they were going to replace him with Brian Erlacher, that they were going to try to talk Erlacher out of retirement to come and play middle linebacker for them this year because Rod Marinelli is the defensive coordinator and he would have a comfort level with Marinelli and know the defense already. He would already know how to come in and make the calls and, and direct the defense and such, made all the sense in the world except for, you know, he was kind of breaking down at the end of 2012 and he didn't play a snap in 2013 you know, probably wouldn't take much for Erlacher, who's a physical specimen, to get in shape to play. But would he be what the Cowboys needed him to be to be successful? In the end, it didn't happen. What they did was they actually made a trade with the Ravens. Or was it? No, it was the Ravens. It was the Ravens to bring in Rolando McClain. And what makes that interesting is that Rolando McClain was a top 10 pick overall for the Raiders he was number eight and I I think 2011 for the Raiders didn't really pan out for them and uh, was let go by the Raiders signed with the Baltimore Ravens and then retired which basically it's like it just didn't have it in him he retired didn't play at all last year um, for whatever I don't know how it happened but possibility presented itself for him to go to uh Dallas the Cowboys make a low risk trade I think they traded us like maybe a conditional sixth rounder or something like that to to Baltimore to bring Rolando McLean uh, into town to see what he can do 
for them. So it's a low risk, high reward type situation. If it works out with McLean, we'll have to wait and see. But um, the book on him has not been good. And one of the things that I've heard about him is that, um, you know, some coaches that have coached the guy say things like he doesn't love football. And when if you don't love football, I don't know how you can make it in the NFL. I just don't. Because uh, as great as it is to be in the NFL and the fact that it's your job, they work you like it's your job. So you really have to love the game to put yourself what you need to to be, you know, f- to make it necessary to play in the league. And if you don't love the game, if you're just doing it for the money, then, you know, it's going to be a mess. So we'll see how that works out. But Rolando McClain was how they decided to address that uh, that issue. Uh, in Dallas and uh, I don't think they did enough on the defensive side uh, of things to uh, to make it work I mean they they have talent they um, you know they they have they have Justin Durant at uh, at the linebacker position they have Bruce Carter who was decent for them uh, last year in the secondary you know Brandon Carr was a big free agent signing for them Uh, they traded up in the draft to get their hands on um Morris Claiborne you know went from like 14 to 6 to get him uh in the first round uh out of LSU uh you know have Orlando Scandrick who was a good player for them you know th- they have some talented guys on the team it's just uh you know it just they they gave up Jason Hatcher they gave up uh DeMarcus Ware and they didn't really they replaced them with bodies they replaced them with young guys but it's it's not an improvement and it's not going to get the cowboys to where they want to go which of course is going to then once again leave it all up to tony romo and you guys know how i feel about tony romo now i don't think he's a loser by any stretch of the imagination i don't think he's a loser i just don't think romo is a winner Okay, I don't think Romo is a winner and I could list off a million different reasons why I can tell you different games. One in particular last year, that big game that they had with the Denver Broncos week number five, Denver comes into town. You know, Tony Romo actually outplayed Peyton Manning in that game. Peyton Manning threw for 400 yards. Tony Romo threw for five. He threw for 500 yards. Uh, in that game a ridiculous game Tony Romo had but at the end of the game um, I remember watching the football night in America on NBC and Rodney Harrison said watching that game he he looked he when he was watching Romo he was saying that he thought Romo was like like his body language or the way that he was moving around like he was either afraid of making a mistake or like he was out there trying not to make a mistake. And what happened when he was doing that was he threw the interception that cost the the Cowboys the game and the Broncos remain undefeated and, and move on and uh, and so on. But it's situations like that, that whenever the, the game is on the line, Romo's not your guy. So you want to be a team that gets ahead of teams, not the team that's got to come from behind. And right now they don't have a defense that's going to allow them 
to do that. So I don't think they're going to be 32nd worst team in the league giving up, you know, 460 yards a game or anything like they did uh, last year. Maybe they might be, you know, the bottom third or anything like that, but the it's still not going to be enough. Even with what they have on offense, um, you know, Scott Linehan comes in. He's going to be the one calling the plays uh, for the Cowboys this year, and he's known as a guy that gets the ball into the playmaker's hands. So instead of passing the ball 80% of the time, which is what the Cowboys did last year, they have a Pro Bowl running back in DeMarco Murray. Scott Linehan's probably going to be the guy that if if he doesn't focus more on the run, he's going to focus more on trying to get the football in DeMarco Murray's hands to try to give him opportunities to create plays and put points on the board. He also has Des Bryant and um Jason Witten at you know one of the best tight ends if not the best tight end uh in the league uh as well so you know they also have Terrence William who was a big surprise for them good enough for them to say goodbye to Miles Austin he is gone uh from the team right now I think he's in Cleveland as a matter of fact and you know and it's just it's uh, it's unfortunate because the Cowboys had a prime opportunity to draft some defensive talent in the first round of this year's draft and with their top pick they took a tackle from Notre Dame, Zach Martin, who will play guard for them on the offensive line when you had HaHa Clinton Dix and Calvin Pryor still there. Uh, Jimmy Ward, who went to the uh, 49ers late in the first round, was still available. Uh, you know, Daquez Denard was still available in the first round uh, as well, but they didn't go out and get any of that uh, defensive help. Uh, they drafted an offensive tackle uh, in the first round. And Improving your offense doesn't, you know, it, you it just wasn't wasn't the right move uh, to make. So, um, I'm I'm not really worried about what we're gonna get from the Cowboys, especially since we're playing them in Chicago again, and it's gonna be the week after Thanksgiving. It's a Thursday night game. Um, we're playing on Thursday night against, the, or excuse me, Thanksgiving the week before, and then coming, you know, having a, basically a full week. Uh, from from Thanksgiving to Thursday night when we play the Cowboys in Chicago. And it is a early December game, just like it was last year. It'll be December 4th instead of like December 9th or whatever it was uh, last year. So maybe similar weather conditions to give us the similar result uh, against those Cowboys and it'll be another victory for the Bears. Uh, quite frankly, you know, the Cowboys don't scare me like they used to. And... Um, they don't scare me this year uh, either. And even in the NFC East, they're not. They're going to be in third place in the NFC East at at best. They're in third place. If the if the Redskins can bounce back, then the, the Cowboys will be in fourth place because I think the Eagles are going to win that division and the Giants are going to contend for a wild card spot this year. That's how I think the NFC East is going to go. And if uh, the Redskins can flourish under their new head coach and Jay Gruden this year then uh the, the cowboys could be at the bottom of the division looking up at everybody else and uh that will most certainly cost jason garrett his job and the cowboys have a new head coach in 2015 i mean they they probably should have had a brand new head coach for the last two seasons at least i don't know if jason garrett's got pictures of jerry jones with a farm animal or something or however it is he keeps managing to keep coming back with his job even though the team underperforms just about every single year that he's been the head coach, but go figure. So I don't think that'll be the case in 2015, um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. 
But 2014 is going to be another disappointing year in Dallas, in my opinion. So that's going to do it for the Cowboys. We're going to go wrap everything up with the last team and quite possibly the toughest opponent we'll face all year in the San Francisco 49ers. The fifth and final team on our docket and the 13th and final preseason or uh, opponent for us to uh, to preview here. The San Francisco 49ers have played in the last three NFC championship games. Uh, they lost two of them and uh, they won it obviously in 2012. They represented the NFC in the Super Bowl losing to the Baltimore Ravens in the Superdome down there in in, in Nolens and um you know this will be year number 4 of the Jim Harbaugh uh regime and plenty of turmoil going on out there in San Francisco there was talk uh during the during the off season that um there was there was talk with the Cleveland Browns to to make a trade for them to take Jim Harbaugh in Cleveland you know for some draft picks uh in such uh for San Francisco, so maybe some uh, some turmoil going on with uh, Harbaugh and the powers that be uh, on whether or not he's going to be coming back. I mean, he's still got this year. I think he signed a five-year deal when he signed with the the 49ers uh, back in 2011. But, um, you know, they've been either in the Super Bowl or one step away from the Super Bowl the entire time that Harbaugh's been uh, the coach out there. So you can't argue with the guy's... Uh, success if uh, if you don't really care for his tactics but um, you know it's it's been an interesting off season for the 49ers they've been dealing with some 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 turmoil uh, Alden Smith they're they're promising uh, you know linebacker one of their best pass rushers if not the best pass rusher uh, on the team can't keep himself out of trouble having uh, you know getting arrested for DUI and things like that was also uh, detained at an airport for saying something about having a bomb uh, in an airport. In post 9-11 America, you talk about having a bomb in an airport. Okay, that wasn't cool or smart to do pre-9-11. It's really not something that shows any level of intelligence in a post-9-11 United States. You just don't do it. And you know whatever it was whatever he said i'm not sure what it was exactly that he did but it was enough to make people nervous and detain him for it i don't think he he suffered any charges for it but he was definitely uh crucified in the court of public opinion because there are fewer dumber things to do uh in the country there really are it's just uh, just being on on a level of stupidity that's way up there way up there to say something about having a bomb or anything like that in an airport in post 9-11 America. It's just, 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 uh, but at the same time, it could also tell you everything you need to know about the guy. Um, and he's, he's, you know, one of those people that's just having a lot of trouble, can't keep himself out of trouble when he's outside the facility, uh, when he's inside the facility and, and it's during the season and, and so on, you know, he's a good guy, he's a model citizen or whatever, everybody loves him. But when he's left to his own devices, the guy's a walking disaster. And doing something stupid like that in an airport really speaks volumes as to 
just exactly how big a disaster he is. But he's going to be facing some kind of suspension. The decision hasn't come down yet, so the, the 49ers don't know exactly how long they're going to be missing him, maybe four games, maybe six. They're not really sure up to this point, but they are going to have to learn how to play without him uh, in the first quarter or so of the season, which is good for us because uh, we see the 49ers week number two on Sunday Night Football, the first game in that brand-new Levi Stadium uh, in Santa Clara. So this is also the first season the 49ers won't actually be playing. The San Francisco 49ers won't actually be playing football in San Francisco. They're going to be in Santa Clara just down the road uh, in that brand-new uh, technological gold mine uh, in, uh, in Santa Clara. So uh, they'll be without Alden Smith, and they might be without uh, Navarro Bowman, their, their stud linebacker who suffered a devastating knee injury uh, in the NFC Championship game. He recovered a fumble uh, in the, you know, right at the goal line against the Seahawks in that title game and bent his knee about 90 degrees in the wrong direction uh, in that game. And um, he might actually start the season on the pup list, which means he could miss at least the first six games uh, of the year if that's how the pup list still works. So pup list be physically unable to perform uh lists so he may not uh he also may be somebody the bears don't have to worry about week number two uh in san francisco however they still have guys like ahmad brooks and patrick willis who are both horses uh they still have guys like uh you know justin smith uh up front to go along with guys like uh you know glenn dorsey who was a top pick for the chiefs back in the day uh, they also have uh, Tank Carradine, who is an up-and-coming guy that they like a lot, uh, Ray McDonald, a defensive tackle, uh, and Ian Williams, I mean, at nose tackle. These are guys that, that are, you know, that make it possible for Willis and Brooks to run amok while, uh, while they clog up those offensive lines all the time. The secondary, however, is where things get interesting because they lost um, Dante Whitner in free agency. Uh, Carlos Rogers went to Oakland, so they lost two of their top, top secondary performers uh, in free agency, both gone. Uh, they replaced them with Anthony Bethay and Chris Cook, both in free agency. Bethay from the um, uh, Colts, Chris Cook from the Minnesota Vikings uh, to try to take their place. So the chemistry might be an issue uh, for these guys at the beginning uh, of the season. And with the holes that they're going to have to start the year with, no Navarro Bowman, no Alden Smith, um, you know, could be interesting for the for this defense that was has been the strength. They've been super stout uh, on the defensive side of the ball for them to have to, you know, not be as good. I mean, they were top 10 in just about every defensive category last year. They were number five overall. They were fourth against the run, seventh against the pass, third in points allowed, and tenth uh, in interceptions last year. So, I mean, just about every defensive category you can come up with, they rank towards the top in just about all of them. Um, You know, defense has been their calling card, or at least it's what's made it possible for the 49ers to be themselves, to be the ones that kind of go against the grain on the offensive side of the ball where they like to run the ball. They're very old school in that way where Frank Gore is a horse and running, carrying 300 times 
uh, a season. Uh, you know, they had like the number three rushing attack, but like the number 23 passing attack because they only had like 180, 190 yards a game passing uh, the football. Here, let me check uh, real quick. Got the stats right here. Let's see. Yeah, number three. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Number three against uh, number three running the football, 137 yards a game. Number 30 in the passing. So 30th overall with a, was it, 186 yards a game. So overall, they were 24th in total offense, but that's because they were running the ball so well, eating up the clock and such stuff, stuff like that that Colin Kaepernick, their quarterback, wasn't really called upon to be the guy to win football games for them. That might be a different case with the defense, you know, possibly suffering from those losses early on. They may need to open up the the playbook a little bit and let Ka- Kaepernick do his thing and, uh, you know, try to pass the ball a bit more to try to, in an effort to score more points to take some pressure off the defense while, uh, you know, they wait for the defense to get to full strength somewhere towards the middle of the uh, – of the season so uh speaking of Kaepernick he got his uh he got his extension a six-year deal I think 61 million dollars something like that um so the 49ers are committed to him uh they traded for Blaine Gabbert from Jacksonville it was a busted experiment out there to uh to back him up in in San Francisco uh the running the running backs are deep uh they have Frank Gore he's in a contract year he's 31 years old so he's got to make it happen because uh, if if he's not going to stay in San Francisco, he's probably not going to go anywhere else. Um, he's still productive, though. He's still a horse. Um, they have Michael, Marcus Lattimore, who's going to be interesting. This uh, the running back from South Carolina, who pretty much who had this unbelievably devastating knee injury in 2012 at the University of South Carolina. Uh, was drafted in the fourth round by the 49ers. They took a flyer on him because they had like 38 draft picks last year, and they redshirted him basically last year so he's he's spent the better part of the last two years rehabbing that devastating knee injury that he had uh at south carolina he'll be ready to go this year let's see if he was uh anything close to the special player that he was uh in college you also have kendall hunter who was a good back for them last year and they also drafted carlos hyde out of ohio state this year that's a loaded backfield if these guys uh, play up to snuff uh, his wide receiving or his uh, pass catching targets. They re-signed Anquan Bolden to a long-term deal. They have a healthy Michael Crabtree coming back. You know he missed a good portion of the year with that ruptured Achilles. Vernon Davis is back. They traded for Stevie Johnson from the Bills, and they also signed Brandon Lloyd in free agency. So it does look they're, like they're trying to skewer more towards opening up uh, in the passing game. But uh, none of these guys is the deep threat. They, they still lack one. When Vernon Davis, even the, the athletic freak that he is, when your tight end is your deep threat, there's something wrong there. So, But all of these bodies being in, uh, on the team at the same time makes it look like they're you know, trying to look to open up the, open up the passing game a bit to uh, you know, not be so one-dimensional and do better than 30th in passing uh, in the NFL this year. And it's going to be easy because they have one of the best offensive lines in football with uh, Staley, Upati, uh, Kilgore, Boone, and Davis. The only thing that might make things tough for them right now is Alex Boone, their right guard, is talking about holding out if he doesn't get a contract 
you know, he wants to renegotiate his deal. So we'll uh, we'll see how it works out for them and how deep into camp and into the season that could possibly uh, go. But despite all of this, I I went to the when I went to the bookstore to uh, to purchase the magazines. There were like six or seven of them. I looked at them all. I went through them all, especially the predictions and how they had everybody ranked and, and things like that. And I would say all but, well, not many people have, this Fal- have the Seahawks returning to the Super Bowl this year, and that would be because they have them losing uh, to the 49ers. Uh, the one that I've been using the most, Sporting News uh, Magazine, has them winning the Super Bowl. So a lot of people like San Francisco. Uh, the ones that have power rankings like have San Francisco 1, Seattle 2, or Seattle 1, San Francisco 2. They have San Francisco at the very least returning to the NFC Championship game in every one of the magazines that I've looked at. So this is a team that despite what it's facing going into the beginning of the year, at the end of the season they all expect them to be where they've been and in some cases going further. Like the magazine that I have here says the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl uh, this year, Um, not just uh, play in it, they're going to win it. And uh, not just make it to the NFC Championship game, but win it and then win the Super Bowl. So we'll see if they can persevere and overcome what they have, uh, what they're facing in the beginning of the season if they can keep their head above water and when they're at full strength again watch out for the 49ers because it could get ugly not only for the nfc but for the rest of the league especially come playoff time so all right folks that's gonna do it for the 2014 regular season opponent preview episodes uh for this year Uh, like i said we're gonna come back next thursday when the bears uh, start camp to talk about the bears start to finish we're going to be talking about our beloved chicago bears take a look at who's here who's gone what's the schedule like what can we hope to see from our beloved in 2014 that'll be all next week so be sure to tune in for that and until then my name is larry d and this has been the chicago bears review